Well, good morning again. <clears throat> so we are in part two of a series called Timeless, and if this is your first time with us, here's what we tend to do. Um, we tend to do series that are like three to four weeks long, and the kind of work is like one big message that we divide up into parts. So last week was our introduction, and we're going to recap that a little bit today. We're kind of coming in, into the meat of what we want to talk about. Next week, I want to encourage you to come back, because next week's the conclusion, the application. Uh, we've got some really cool things we're going to do, and I don't want you to miss that, so make sure you come back next week. But from last week, we kind of had a really interesting talk as we talked about trends. We talked about that, we, that um, we live in a world that's kind of obsessed with trends, don't we? And I don't know if you remember this, but we kind of pointed out uh, the first cell phone. Do you guys remember the first cell phone? L- looked a little like this. You remember the first cell phone? Some of you remember when the first cell phone, when that came out, it was like really hot technology. Some of you remember when that came out and you thought Zach Morris was, was pretty hot, but... Um, if you think that now, you got to move on. <clears throat> uh, but that was the first cell phone. When that came out, that, that was really cool technology. And now we look at it and we think, that's kind of old. That, that's that's old-fashioned. That, I mean, you can get like 10 feet out of your house and make a call. And now we can make calls anywhere in the world. And, and I, I showed you an iPad, iPod last week. One of the first generations that came out, I had the click wheel. I had to borrow it from my daughter, who unfortunately didn't let me use it this week. Um, But when that came out, that was like hot technology. Everybody wanted one. Everybody had to get their hands on one. And then we fast forward to this year, and and I showed you this. This is the latest technology from the greatest tech company in the world. This is the iPhone X. And some of you are shaking your heads. We can argue after service. (laughs) Greatest tech company in the world. Uh, but this is, this is the greatest technology that they've released so far. And we talked about how, you know, some, like when the thumbprint technology came out, that was amazing. Now it'll unlock a phone with your face. I mean, that's just, it's amazing. But, but here's what's incredibly interesting about trends, is that in just a few short years, maybe even just in a few months, this is going to give you the same reaction you had when you saw this. That, that trends come and go so fast. That, that technology that was once so hot and everybody had to get their hands on. In just a, few, in just a short period of time, it's going to be something that no one really wants anymore. You see, what's interesting about trends is, is when you're in the moment, you can't see what's going to be hot or not. But, but when you're kind of looking back in the past, you get to see it. But in the moment, you can't. And, and we're not here to demonize trends. I'm not here to tell you that you know, keeping up with trends is wrong. Honestly, some of, you, some of us need to keep up with trends. We need haircuts and new clothes so we don't look like we, we were born in, in the 60s or 70s and we never left that, that, that decade. Uh, but that's what happens with trends. And it's not just technology trends. It carries into hair and it carries into our clothing style. And if you don't believe me, the furthest you have to look is to your high school photo. As a matter of fact, I, I brought mine with me. I mean, there is just so much wrong with that picture. I mean, you know, the suit, the, the haircut, the... The library background, like uh, my mom picked that. She thought it was really in. But, I mean, can we just take that down? Oh, that's, that's really nice. Thank you so, so much, Amy. Uh, yeah, let's, let's move that now. <clears throat> but that's really, that's all we have to do. You see, the truth is, if I were to take a picture of, of you right now and hold it for 10 years and then give it to you, you would look at the picture and think, what was I thinking wearing my hair that way? What was I thinking wearing that outfit or that, that blouse or that top, whatever it might be? But this is how trends go. And again, I'm not here to demonize trends. It's okay to keep up with them if you want to. I like tech stuff. I keep up with tech trends and I, I try to keep up in style. That I leave that more up to my wife because as you saw in that picture, I don't know what I'm doing. <clears throat> but th- it's okay to try to keep up with it. The point of it for this series is, is this. It's that we live in a trendy world. We do. We live in a very trendy world. But that the best things in life aren't trendy. The best things in life are timeless. 
that there are some things that always look good on you. For men, they say that like that, that slim cut black suit never goes out of style. There are some things that never go out of style. There are some things that even increase with value over time as opposed to losing value over time. That, that as we live our lives, if we continue to base our whole life on chasing the trend, we're gonna miss something that's timeless, something that's incredibly valuable, something that never, ever, ever goes out of style. Last week, we started our discussion with this, and then we kind of dove into something that's exceptionally timeless. We talked about eternity, and specifically, we talked about a heaven. And we answered this really important question that said, what is heaven going to be like? And, and we realized that most people kind of have this really weird view of heaven, you know, with clouds and harps and eating grapes and singing songs forever, and it just, it seemed like really sappy, but as we actually get this understanding of heaven, when we think of heaven, we don't have to look up, we have to look around, because God's recreating heaven for us. And there is this awesome idea of heaven that, that for some of us, we only have this view of heaven and eternity as this really like, like far off thing, this thing that's only going to matter to my life like 50, 60 years from now. But, but what we realize is that heaven matters now and that there are things we can do right now to make an eternal difference in someone's life, in our life, in the people around you. And that when we begin to view heaven this way, every day matters. Every day matters. When we get this understanding that heaven just isn't for us later, but heaven is for us and for the people around us now, it changes our perspective. Today, we're going to dive specifically into something that I think is a very timeless truth, something that just doesn't affect us now, but has the ability to affect us in the future. Actually, Jesus talked about it, and it's a timeless truth that's mentioned over and over and over again. And he said, this isn't just going to pop up in your life now. It's not just going to pop up in your life like 10 years from now. This is going to pop up in eternity for you and for everyone around you. This is one of these incredibly, like, awesome timeless truths that has significant importance if we could learn it and if we could understand it and more than that if we could prioritize it in our life now b before we dive into this I, I need to do a, a little disclaimer on this uh, sometimes I get asked if I'm ever nervous like, like speaking in public are you ever nervous to go up there on a Sunday morning and, and, and the truth is sometimes I, I do get a little nervous as I imagine you would I don't know if you know this but it's documented that people are more scared to speak publicly than they are to die that means you would rather be attending your own funeral than up here speaking this morning. This is the truth. So th there tends to be some nerves with it. But th this morning, I'm nervous, but, but not so much nervous in speaking. I'm not, I'm not nervous at all in speaking. Uh, I'm actually really excited to be here. I'm really excited uh, to be here week after week and get to share with you. I I'm just a little nervous about the content of the message. Because I have this, this feeling that when you hear this message, if this is your first time here, this is, this is going to be your reaction. Yep, this is exactly what I would expect a preacher at a church to say. And my fear is that you would leave here kind of placing all of that doubt, all of those negative emotions on the church. So what I'm going to ask you to do this morning is if you do leave here and if you feel uncomfortable, if you have these negative ideas or emotions, don't apply them to the church, apply them to me. Don't apply them to the people that, that brought you here or invited you here. Put all of that on me. I'm going to do my best so that you don't feel that way. But if you do, I want you to apply that to me. Because what we're going to talk about, it, it's, it's a little, it, it's a little um, convicting. And, and some of you might feel a little, a little condemning, but I don't want it to feel that way at all. Because in, in this, little, this little thing that offers some criticism for us, it, it also has this incredible opportunity to bring life for us. And that's what I hope you get out of this. 
Now, if that wasn't a dramatic of enough of an opening and a cryptic opening, I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to say a prayer for me. I'm going to say a prayer for you. And if this is your last Sunday with us, then I, let me start by saying God bless. <clears throat> Let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for everyone here. I thank you for every opportunity I get to share from your, from your scriptures, Lord. It is an honor and an incredible responsibility. And I pray today I would do it justice. I pray that I would speak your truth, that I would speak your words, God, not my own. Leave myself out of it, God, and just let me present the truth of the message that we're going to talk about this morning. And I pray you would open hearts, that you would open their minds to receive it, God, that we might implement this timeless truth and our lives completely changed forever as you promised they would be. In your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You guys interested? A little scared? Have any ideas where we're going this morning? I'm sure you do. Here's how we're going to start. I'm going to start by talking about something that I'm guessing... Um, some of you already know about, and we're, what we're going to talk about is called ROI. ROI is just an acronym for return on investment. And you probably don't need an, an example of this, but I'm going to give you a few anyway just to catch people up to speed on what ROI is and what it could mean for us. We mentioned this company before, Apple. <clears throat> if you invested in Apple, your return on investment would have been huge. As a matter of fact, if you invested in Apple, I think it was in like 1996, if you invested less than $1,000, at this point in your life, you would have over $313,000 invested. That is an incredible return on investment. It's an incredible ROI. It's something like 300, over uh, 31,500% of, of a return on investment. That is a phenomenal ROI. But here's what you need to know. Some ROIs don't work out that way. Some ROIs don't turn out that good at all. Hashtag Webvan. Have you guys ever heard of Webvan? Do you guys remember Webvan? Hopefully it's not because you invested in Webvan. Webvan had this really phenomenal idea that you go online and you kind of order your groceries from them and they would go around and they would do all the shopping for you and then they would deliver it to your house. I mean, it sounds like a brilliant idea. They raised a ton of capital. They went out and they bought warehouses all over the United States. They bought vans and trucks all over the country. And then in just a few months, they went bankrupt and lost everything. Now, if you invested $1,000 in Webvan, you would have gotten nothing back, which means that is a horrible ROI. Everyone know where we're at? ROIs? Okay, that is a horrible example of an ROI. But what we're going to talk about is return on investment. And what I want to share with you is the most fantastic return on investment you have, the most fantastic financial advice you can share. And it's not because I'm a financial guru. I'm not going to sell you on something and make you buy something after service and pledge your life to be a part of journey. It's, It's nothing like that. What I'm going to share with you, as a matter of fact, doesn't really come from me at all. It comes from your heavenly father. And your heavenly father said, I've got some advice for you. I've got some financial advice for you. And if you're willing to invest this way, if you're willing to invest perhaps in my kingdom, your return on investment is going to be so significant. It's not just going to change your life now. It's going to change your life in the future. It's going to change your life in eternity. And it has the ability to change the lives of all of those around you in eternity. It's that big of a financial investment. And then when you invest in the financial world, for the financial um, world promises you, uh, that you get increased. But then there's this always this little like hashtag, this little underlined little asterisk that says, past performance is no guarantee of future results. You see, except when it comes to this promise from God, God says past performance is a guarantee of future results. And this is a time-tested truth. And it has been tested for thousands and thousands of years. And everyone that begins to follow this financial advice and this financial from plan from God, they've seen dramatic increase in their life and in uh, their happiness and in the lives of people to come and in the lives of eternity. 
And, and the news for us, and this might, might shock some of you, but there is coming a day when Apple will no longer exist. There is coming a day when Apple stock will plummet and be worth nothing. But God promises that if you were to invest this way, there is coming a day that your financial, uh, your ROI, your financial investment, would be more than it was ever worth, than it was ever invested in, if you just learned to take this financial advice. And this financial advice impacts your life today, and it impacts your life tomorrow. So we're going to start by kind of eavesdropping into a conversation that God has with the nation of Israel. This is found in the Old Testament, in the last book of the Old Testament, a book called Malachi. Malachi was the name of a prophet. And Malachi is kind of bringing this message from God to the nation of Israel. And it's a little bit of a tense conversation. It's a little bit of a, of a, of a heated conversation. And you might not know what I'm talking about. Have you ever kind of walked up into a group of friends and you thought they were just talking and then you get there and you realize it's a little bit tense? And you feel like you're a little bit on the outside. You're really not sure what to say. It's a little bit awkward. And you just want to kind of throw something out to break the ice. But you can kind of feel that tension building. This is kind of what we're going to do in this conversation. God's having a conversation with his people, the nation of Israel. And as we start off, we're going to see they're, they're, like the tone of God is that it's a little bit tense. He's a little bit upset. But as we're going to see, this, this kind of upset father figure, this kind of father figure that's doing a little bit of rebuking and a little bit of correcting, his tone shifts dramatically. And we see he goes from making a command to making a promise. He goes from making a command to offering an invitation. And we're going to eavesdrop right in on this conversation found in Malachi. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Malachi chapter 3. We'll put the uh, text on the screen for you. This is the financial advice from God. He starts by saying, Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees, and you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. God is confronting his people. And he's kind of pleading with them. You, you, you've left me. You abandoned me. You went away from me. And I, I, I want you to come back. Come back to me so we can be in a relationship. And, and the nation of Israel, as we're going to see, they're kind of like, how did we ever leave you? We're like, we don't want to leave you. You're, you're, you're the creator of the universe. You're our heavenly father. It's not good to be apart from you. God, how did we ever leave you? As a matter of fact, that's the question they ask. God continues and says, but you ask, how are we to return? We never knew we left. We never knew we went away. We never knew we even separated from you. So God, how do we return to you? How do we come back to you? How do we make this relationship with you right again? God says this, and this is where it, it kind of gets a little tense. It gets a little confrontational. God says, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? And you can imagine the people kind of looking at it thinking, how have we robbed God? I mean, really, how do you rob God at all? Yet we're robbing you, God? How, how do we rob you? But you ask, how are you robbing you? This is what God says. He says, in tithes and offerings. Now, you might have went to a church where you kind of thought that tithes and offerings were the same thing. They're not, and we're going to explain what the difference is in that today. But God says specifically, this is how you're robbing me. You are not bringing the tithes and the offerings to me. You are under a curse, he says, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. And then the, the, the tone begins to shift. The tone from this, this kind of correcting father who's saying, like, this thing over here, this robbing me, this, this, this bad behavior, this isn't good. And if you're a father, if you're a parent, you kind of know what I'm talking about. You look at your kids. This isn't good. This will hurt you. This is ultimately to your detriment. Please don't do this. But as good parents, we don't just rest with the condemnation. We don't just rest with the conviction. We then kind of shift, right? And we offer something new. We say, but over here, 
Let me show you a better way. Do, do this instead, and you'll be blessed. Do this instead, and you'll be happy. Do this instead, and you'll be safe. Stop doing this thing, and perhaps start doing this. And the tone shifts from being very confrontational and being very kind of confronting to the caring father who wants a relationship and who wants his people to be happy and to be blessed. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then here's this incredible invitation. And you have to understand, this is the only time in the entire Bible, in that big leather-bound book that you have, this is the only time God ever says these four words. It's the only time he's ever said it, and it's the only time he ever will say it. He comes out with this incredible invitation. Test me in this. Test me in this. Try it out. See if I won't do what I'm about to do. It's like God, God's basically saying, I triple dog dare you. Right? He skipped the double dare. He skipped the double dog dare. He skipped the triple dare. He went right to the extreme. I triple dog dare you. Test me in this. Try it out. See if I won't do what I promised I'm going to do. This is the only time. I mean, this is huge for you. You need to understand like, like the, the impact of this on human nature and society. It's the only time God ever said, test me. I give you permission to test me and see if I won't do what I'm about to do. Everything else I've said, don't test me because I'm going to do it. But in this, I want you to test me. I want you to see if I won't do what I'm about to promise you I will do. It's an incredible invitation. I triple dog dare you, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be room enough to store it. So to recap, we have a command and we have an invitation. The command is don't rob me of the tithes and offerings. That's from God. And then the invitation, that incredible invitation, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. You see, here's why this is important to you and why it's important to me. Because this was a promise that wasn't just for the people of Israel. This was a promise that wasn't just for the nation of Israel back then. This is a promise for you and I today. And here's why it's so significant. Because ultimately, this isn't a money issue. When we think about robbing God, the idea that God would need our money, God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need anything from you. I mean, really, God's economy doesn't work with our dollar bills. That's just the truth of it. He doesn't need our money. This isn't a financial, like a money-based issue. To God, this is a faith issue. This purely comes down to faith. Are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to invest in me? Because if you are, I'm willing to do the same for you. Are you willing to put God first and foremost in your finances? <coughs> and the reason this might not seem so important, especially to us Americans, is because we have this idea <coughs> that if we just had more money, we'd give more money. Right? I mean, everyone has a thought, well, you know, if I just had a little more, Jim, I'd give more. <coughs> well, I have an interesting Response that. The research has been done on this. <clears throat> the results are in, and I'm going to share those results for you. This whole idea that if I had more money, I would give more money. That if I made a little more money, I would give more money. We all kind of believe it. We all, maybe all have even said it. I know I've said it. God, if you just gave me a little more, I'd give a whole lot more. Here, here, the results are in, so we're going to go through this chart. Here's six categories. The research has been done to kind of connect people earning more money and their level of generosity. So the first one is under $25,000. People who made under 
they gave 7.7% of their income to charitable, charitable uh, reasons, whether it's nonprofits, uh, other forms of generosity. They gave about 7.7% of their money away. <clears throat> so we would get the idea, this is our baseline. From there, things are just going to increase because as we can see, the income increases. So the next one, $25,000 to $50,000. They gave 4.6%. I don't understand. I thought, I thought if I made more money, I'd give more money. I mean, clearly I'm making double what they made in the first category. That, that number sh should be with a, like a one in front of it. Like, that's math. It should have increased. The next one, 50,000 to 75,000 gave 3.5%. 75 to 100,000 gave 3%. Now look at the last two. 100,000 to 200,000 gave 2.6. 200, <coughs> excuse me, gave 2.8% of their money. You see, the truth is, it doesn't matter how much we make, but we all kind of get this idea. If I just gave more, if I had more money, if I made more money, if I got that raise I was looking for, if I got that new job I was looking for, if I didn't live in such a, a remote area and I had an opportunity to do so much more, then I would give more money away. And the truth is, the exact opposite is what we see. That the more money we make, the less money we tend to give away because it really isn't, doesn't come down to a money issue. It comes down to a faith issue. Are we willing to trust God, or are we willing to trust our resources? And the evidence shows that the more we make, the more we trust our resources, and the less we trust God. <clears throat> That's a significant impact to our lives. Now, as you can see, we have some beautiful pies in front of us. I'm sure you've been wondering from the beginning of service, what are they going to do with the pies? I've been getting questions all morning. Jim, what are the pies for? Like, wh wh why do we have pies? Well, i got to tell you, these are strawberry rhubarb pies from Dysarts. If you haven't had a strawberry rhubarb pie from Dysarts, some of you might be in for a treat this morning. These, these are delicious pies. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at this pie in the middle here as your finances. Here's how we tend to treat our finances. At the end of the month, we get our whole pie, our whole pot. All the money comes in. It's all sitting right here. And here's, here's what we tend to do with our money. Here's how we tend to, to, set, to spend our money. The first priority is, you know, we, got, we have a mortgage. And our mortgage tends to be pretty big. For some of us, maybe a little bigger than others. But we have a mortgage. And the mortgage payment has to be paid. Or I don't have, I don't have a roof over my head. I don't have a place to go. So, so we take our mortgage out. And like I said before, this is a little bit messy. But it's a big piece because that's, that's our, our mortgage. <laughs> Hopefully you guys don't suffer from diabetes because this might do you in right here. But we have our mortgage, and then after our mortgage, what, what do we have? We have utilities. We have cell phone. We have lights. We have sewer. We, you know, we have water. We have uh, um, cable. you know, you got to watch Game of Thrones, so you need HBO. And, you know, we, we take a chunk out for that, and... Our data bills are high, especially if you have teenagers. There's not enough data in the world to cover the, the data used on cell phones. So we, we take this chunk out and, you know, we'll add a little more because data, is, data gets expensive. And a little more. <clears throat> so we pay our utilities. And then if you're a parent, you have kids, right? Kids, kids can be expensive, right? We have kids, so we put some money aside for, for kids and, and for their sports and their pictures and you know, kids, kids need stuff. And here's the really interesting thing about kids. Nowadays, this pie's really good. <laughs> Nowadays, kids, kids tend to move out and then they come back. 
right? That's what I have to look forward to. So we got to take a little more out because t- kids tend to leave and kids tend to come back and, and, and there you go. So we have our kids. And then what else do we have? Oh, we have, we have car payments and sometimes we have multiple car payments and then there's insurances. So we've got cars and, and that has to come out and we have our car payment. We, we throw that over here and what else do we have? We have clothes, right? You got to keep up with the trends. We don't want to look like we were still living in the 80s or the 70s worse. So <clears throat> we got to keep up. So we're going to buy some clothes. We're going to buy some shoes and we keep up with, with, with the trends. And then there's, there's improvements. If you own a home, I mean, good God, there are improvements upon improvements. We got to fix, fix the septic and we got to <laughs> stop buying power tools and hurting ourselves and then there's, there's debt, there's credit card debt, and there's medical debt. And if you're like me, sometimes medical debt goes up because you're injury prone and <clears throat> you have that emergency trip to the emergency room. And then, oh, what's, what's left? Oh, we have, we have retirement, right? I mean, we've got to save for our retirement someday. So, so we have, am I my last plate? No, one more. I got it just right. <laughs> then we have our, our, our retirement. So we put some into our nest egg for our retirement because we don't want to be a burden on our kids. And that's good. And we put that away and so, so it's all left there, and then, then we're, we're kind of left with this. I should, can I get a napkin? It's a really messy pie. <clears throat> we're kind of left with this. And, and then when it comes to giving, right? It, it comes to, to coming to church, or it comes to that person knocking on your door, or someone telling you that story about how much they're in desperate need, and it begins to pull on your heart, and you look down and you think, this is all I have left. Thank you, Paul. <clears throat> Actually, you know what? While you're up here, you guys want some pie? Here, we got some, some forks. You want to hand some pie out? <clears throat> Thank you. Paul's going to hand you some pie. Let's give Paul a hand. <clears throat> we have another Paul. He's going to hand out some pie. Ch- Chad, another usher. But this is what we tend to do. <clears throat> As you guys are enjoying your pie, it's delicious. Don't worry, we have another one. <clears throat> this is what we tend to do. We tend to, to give our finances all out. We write our mortgage checks. We write our utility checks. We, we, we go our, and do our grocery shopping. We buy our clothes. We do all of that. And then when it comes to giving, we have leftovers for God. And, and here's the thing you need to know. God isn't satisfied with your leftovers. God doesn't want what's left. It wasn't good enough for God to have what's left. God wants what's first. You see, he's not satisfied with you just bringing whatever's left at, at, the end of, uh, at the end of you spending it. What he wants is to know that he is your priority. He wants to know that he matters to you. He wants to know that you would place him first, that you would bring your first fruits to God. God is not satisfied with our leftovers. And what he's telling the nation of Israel and what he's telling you and me is that we're robbing him by simply bringing him our leftovers that it's not good enough to just bring whatever might be left if there's anything left. And the truth is, for some of us, at the end of the month, there's nothing left. As a matter of fact, we've gone into the red. There's no black left. We're going into debt. And God's saying, your leftovers are not good enough for me. This is not an issue of money. It's not an issue of finance. It's an issue of faith. Are you trusting solely in your resources? Or as we sung about this morning, are you willing to trust in me? Are you trusting solely in what you're able to bring in or are you willing to trust in me? And God's made it perfectly clear. He wants to bless you financially and he wants to grow your faith. He wants to increase your faith. He wants you to be blessed. But to do that, he said, you've got to stop robbing me. 
you got to stop giving me your leftovers. Our approach, perhaps, needs to change a little bit. You see, what God teaches us, and this is where we're going to come to our second pie, that the, the first thing you do, the first thing you do when you get paid is you take 10%. 10%. And you say, God, I'm bringing you the tithe. I'm bringing you the tithe. This God belongs to you. You see, the, the interesting thing is we bring God a tithe. We don't give God a tithe because God said, it already belongs to me. Everything you have, everything you see, everything you can touch, I created and it's mine. So when you're bringing the, the, the tithe, when you're bringing that tenth, you're, you're not giving it. You give an offering, but you bring a tithe because the tithe be belongs to God already. He's saying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put me first. And I know what you're thinking. You probably have the same question I did when I first started this. So are, are you saying, Jim, that you want me to do this before I even write the mortgage check? Are, are you saying you want me to give 10% before I, I, I pay for my car? Absolutely. Absolutely I am. Here's why. Because it's God that promised to bless you, not your mortgage company. Do you know what your mortgage company promised? They promised that if you don't pay us for a few months, we're going to show up and take your house and kick you out. And if you're in the mortgage industry, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. We agreed to that. We committed to that. We signed to that. But God promised to bless, not the mortgage company. God promised to do something more with what you invested, not the mortgage company. And then in the church, there's always this, this, this kind of statement or flack around. That's it. The church just wants my money. The church only wants my money. Here's truthful, we don't just want your money at all. But <clears throat> why is that always said about the church and not about Visa? I mean, let's be honest, right? What does Visa ever promise to do with your money? They clearly want your money, and God has better intentions for your finances and can do more with your finances than Visa ever, ever, ever plans to. I can feel that tension a little bit. It's making me a little hot. Here's another way to show it. This message is full of illustrations, but I'm going to make sure you can't miss it. You get paid, and I do this in, in things that are divisible by 10 because sometimes I'm not that smart, and this is easy. So you get paid $10. Here's what God's saying. You get paid 10 the first thing I want you to do is to take $1 and give it to me. It's the first thing I want you to do. Take a dollar of that 10 and, and bring it to me. And that's the tithe. And, and then the offering... The offering is anything on top of the tithe. The offering is anything extra you want to put in or anything more that God's leading you towards. The offering is anything above that. But God says you can, you can give an offering, but you bring the tithe because the tithe belongs to me. The tithe belongs to me, and if you keep it, then you're robbing me. So bring the tithe to me. And then when I lead you and I provide and I bless you, then you can give an offering. And then you can do more. Whatever God leads you see, for years and years, we've had this, this whole idea that all the church wants is your money. And the truth is, God could not want your money at all. He has no use for your money. What he has use for is your heart. And he knows that the two are so incredibly connected that if he could get a hold of, of your financial life, if he could get a hold of your finances, then maybe he has your heart. And, and if he has your heart, then he can do so much more with you than you ever dreamed or imagined. 
That, and then he said that if you would even take his word at this, if you would test him, if you would try him out, if you took up on his dare, that triple dog dare, to test him in this, he said, then I would pour a blessing on you so much that you wouldn't even know what to do with it. And the truth is this. Don't even take my word for it. I've been pastoring for years, and I've pastored at churches before this, and every single time I've seen someone apply this, every single time, they would tell you that they've seen a blessing come, that they've seen blessings follow, that they tested God, and they took him at his word, and God did exactly what he said to do. He poured a blessing on them, and it's almost like I had more money than I knew I had to begin with. It's almost like every need was met, and then I still had some left over. It's almost like, like once I reprioritized and I put God first, all of my priorities began to change. And those things that I thought I cared so much about, I'm finding myself not caring so much about anymore. And, and, and look, at the end, there's leftover. Where, where before, there was nothing but scraps. Because God promised to do what only God could do. If you invest in his kingdom, he said, I'll invest in yours. And then there's that principle of the first fruits. God says the first thing you do, the first thing you do with your tithe is bring it to me. Because that's, that's, what the, that's what it was. It was the beginning. It was the first. It's that initial thing. It's that as soon as you get paid, this is the first thing I'm going to do with it. In Proverbs, Solomon, he writes this. He says in Proverbs 3, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops, and your barns will be filled to overflowing. Now, as you know, the Bible was written in an agrarian society, which means it was like a farming society. And when farmers would go out and they would see kind of the, their first crops come up or their first bloom, they would tie a ribbon around it. And that ribbon would signify, this belongs to the Lord. This is my first fruit. This is the, that initial blessing. This is for me to say, hey, God, thank you so much for making it rain, for making the sunshine, for blessing me so that I have crops that I can sell or that I can feed my family with. This belongs to you. It's the principle of the first fruits, that the very first thing you do when you get paid is say, hey, God, I trust you, and this belongs to you. God, I trust you, and that belongs to you. You see, there was a command, and then there was an invitation. There was the command, don't rob me. Don't withhold something that belongs to me. But if you're willing to give that, give that freely, if you're willing to part with that as it's mine, I'm going to bless you. I mean, just imagine that promise. I'm going to pour open the floodgates of heaven because you just gave me what belonged to me. It's not like you went above and beyond. It's not like you, you, you've got to you know, <clears throat> donate hundreds and hundreds of thousands. You just give me that first tenth that belongs to me, and then I will bless you so significantly. And that's how God looks at our finances. That's why somebody who gives $1,000 can actually be more blessed and give more than someone who's actually given like 100000 Because God's not looking at amount, he's looking at percentages. Are you willing to part with that first 10%? Are you willing to give it back to me because it's mine? And if you will, this is what I will do for you. Now, I know this is hard for us. I, I know for some of us, you might be sitting in your seat and squirming, and, and there might be all those negative emotions I talked about. And if you're feeling that way, please, again, throw them on me. But, but here's what I want to do. If you're hearing this, I just want to give you like, like two steps, two steps to kind of walk this out. 
Right, if you're hearing this and you're saying, hey, Jim, all of that's good and all of that's great, but you don't even know where I'm at. I can't part with like 1%. Like there's so much pressure. There's, there's so much kind of tension coming up against me. I don't even know how I would do it. Here's what I want to invite you to do. Here's your step today. Come back next week. Next week, I'm going to share with you my story. Next week, we're going to begin signups for this very incredible class called uh, Financial Peace University, if you would throw that up for me. This is Dave Ramsey of Financial Peace University. We're going to host our first financial peace here. I'm sold out to this. I'm, I'm a believer. Your class uh, leader has kind of run like a small group. He's completely sold out to this. He and I actually went through it at the same time, and our lives have been completely different. As we begin to see our finances shift and our priorities shift in living within our means, I encourage you so much. If you want to know more about this, find me after service and I'll talk to you. But next week, we're doing signups for this. We'll offer it online in case you can't be here. I know it's Memorial Day weekend. You don't want to miss this. <clears throat> We're going to run it in the summer, and we'll continue to run it uh, every year we do this because I am completely sold out to what this will do. I can't give you like exact figures, but the amount of debt couples have retired walking through Financial Peace University, it's like tens of thousands of dollars in eight weeks couples retire debt. And, and let me ask you, do you think that's healthy for their marriage to retire that much debt, or do you think it's harmful? You can, you can answer. It's helpful, Right? I mean, after all, the number one cause of divorce is financial pressure. And over eight weeks, this couple retire debt, and they begin to have purpose for their finances. What, what could be better for their marriage? I can tell you personally, and you'll hear my story next week, it saved my marriage and perhaps saved my life, walking through these principles. Don't miss that. That's your step. If you're feeling that pressure, that you can't even add 1% of your life to giving something away to God, then I want you to be a part of that class. Financial Peace University, be here next week and we'll do signups. <clears throat> but if you're here and you've been coming to church for a while and you haven't really been, uh, been giving or tithing, and I get that, truthfully it's because I do a really bad job, job at talking about it. We've made every intention to not have any kind of financial pressure on you. We don't even talk about an offering. We don't even collect an offering. We put a box in the back and hopefully you don't miss it on your way out. <clears throat> so I've done a really bad job at telling you how to give, at being a part of what we're doing here. But here's what I want you to do. If you're here today and you haven't been on a giving plan, I want you to get on a giving plan for your church. I want you to support your local church. If you don't belong here and you belong to another church, support that church. Have a plan to support your local church. But here's what I want you to do. <coughs> if you have a smart device, a smartphone, an iPhone or a computer at home, I want you to go to our website. That's journeymain.com. We just changed our website, uh, our name. We launched a whole new website. There's some incredible features on there. But if you go to the Give button, in just a few clicks, you can set up automated giving. Automated giving is simply like being automatically generous. It's simply saying, I, at the very first one I get paid, I'm setting it up right now to give something to God out of my paycheck. And you'd ask, well, is that important? I think it is important because it removes every temptation you have. You know at the beginning of your week or at the end of the week, whenever you get paid, weekly, bi-weekly, once a month, However you set it up, I can automate it so that it comes out and it goes directly to God. All temptations aside, it's going directly to God whenever I get paid. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I'm promising to do to you. Just as God said, test me in this, I want you to test us in this. We are not here because we want something from you. We are here because we want something for you. And I believe, and I've seen it with my own life, that if you're willing to honor God this way, God is always willing to honor you. So here's what we're going to do as a church. I'm presenting you, you today a 90-day challenge. It's a 90-day tithe challenge. Over the next 90 days, I'm challenging you 
to get on a tithing plan for your church. If you belong here, you can give it here. If you don't like what I'm saying and you want to give it somewhere else, give it somewhere else. But if you invest your money here at the end of 90 days, if you feel like this is a complete sham, if you feel like this automa- being automatically generous is just a, a whole wash and you're fed up with it, here's what I want you to do. I want you to email me at jim.fanari at journeymain.com or email accounting at journeymain.com and we will give you not 85% of your gift back, not 93% of your gift back. At the end of 90 days, we will return to you entirely 100% of what you gave over those 90 days. If at the end of it, you fully believe this is a complete wash and this is a horrible idea, then you email me and I won't show up at your house. I won't pray for you. I won't call you. I won't ask, is everything okay? I will gladly return and say, thank you so much for taking God at his word and testing him. I believe it with all my heart. I believe it so much I'm willing to back, back it with the finances of this church because I know when you begin to align your heart with the heart of God, God begins to shift how you view things, how you view your money, how you view priority, how you view eternity. And he said, and he promised, and I've seen it over and over again, that he would pour out the blessing on you. And I fully believe that if you would take him at his word and over the next 90 days, tithe to your local church, wherever it might be, but if you do it here and you don't like it, I'll give it entirely back to you. We will invest it back to you. Now, I don't know if you've been at church for a while. Churches don't do this. As a matter of fact, and we kind of toss this idea around with our staff, I could see the look on our faces. Our accountant kind of looked like, you're really going to give it back? Absolutely. Entirely back. And I don't want you to feel any pressure. This isn't me trying to pull a wool over your eyes or like a whole little bait and switch. I mean it with all sincerity. If you try it and you hate it, it's yours. I fully believe that when we invest in God's kingdom, and that's our bottom line for today's message, when we become caretakers in God's kingdom, God becomes a caretaker in your kingdom. When we learn to live this way and give that 10% first to God, and not this way where we rely and trust wholly on our resources, God does something in you that significantly changes your life. I believe it will happen for you just like it happened for me, just like it happened for my parents. That's who taught me this principle. I remember growing up, and every single week, my dad had his checkbook out. Maybe that's why I always loved writing checks. He had his checkbook out, and every week, the first check that came out when he got paid was to the church, and he never missed it. If he was sick, he would give me his check. Make sure it went in. They didn't have automated giving then like we did. They didn't have the internet when I grew up, so I know I'm a little old. He would give me his check and make sure it went in. And I have seen year after year after year after year, my parents go through circumstances and situations that people would say, there's no way you should be able to survive. There's no way you should live. There's no way you should be able to vacation. There's no way you should be able to invest. Yet every single year they do. Every single year they have gone through and and seen themselves overcome circumstances and situations that anyone else who wasn't honoring God with this would have suffered to. But God somehow saw them through because they were willing every single week to say, God, I would rather trust you than trust me. And that's what God's saying. He's saying 90% of your income with my blessing is way better than 100% of your income without it. 90% of your income with my blessing is way better than 100% of your income without it. So there's your challenge. Would you take God at his word? Would you do what God asked you to do, to test him in this. Not for my sake, but for yours. Because ultimately this isn't a money issue. It's a faith issue, and God wants to know, where 
is your heart. Are you trusting in me? Or are you still trusting in your own resources? Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, I know any conversation about money is tense, but a conversation about money in church is just so intense. God, I pray that I've done a good job by honoring your word and not adding extra guilt or extra pressure on people to make them feel like somehow the church wants something from them. When God, in fact, we want something for them. We want the blessing of God upon them. Where you open the floodgates and you do what you promise to do. I pray that people, everyone here, God, would take their next step. Whether it's, it's signing up for that financial peace small group, God, and being a part of learning how to operate in God's financial kingdom. How to understand God's economy and live that way. Or whether it's taking that 90-day challenge and saying, God, I'm going to do exactly what you offered me to do. That only time you offered it, God, to test you in this. I pray that as they begin to take that step, that you will do what you promised to do. Begin to change hearts. Begin to pour out a blessing. Allow them to see, God, that you are always with them, that you've never leave them, that you'll never forsake them, and that as they trust in you and they become a caretaker in your kingdom, God, I pray that you would become that caretaker of theirs. In Jesus' name I pray. Give us the wisdom to do Everything we have to do with this message, God, and give us the courage to do it when it's hard. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.